Games rated E to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we dig into Super Mario Maker 2 and revisit Resident Evil classics on Nintendo Switch. My name is Chris Slate. Joining me today is Stephanie Palermo from the Strategic Communications team at Nintendo of America. Hi, Stephanie. Hello, hello. Hi, thanks for coming back on the show. And uh, this is going to be a very special episode because we're actually going to head up the 101 for about an hour to San Francisco and speak with uh, our friends at Capcom about the upcoming Resident Evil games for Nintendo Switch that are coming out on May 21st. Uh, But first, uh, before we hit the road, I've been dying to talk to you about all the big Super Mario Maker 2 news that dropped just a couple of days ago. And, you know, I know I've, I've been cornering people in the halls, kind of forcing them to listen to all my ideas about all these new parts and everything that's been <laughs> talked about. So I figured, why not at least uh, put a microphone uh, down and, and uh, share this with people who might also be just as excited as I am about this game. And I suspect that's a lot of people. Um, so let's just to, to start with, uh, Stephanie, out of everything that was just announced, I want to know maybe what jumped out to you the most, if you've got any favorites as far as the new pieces, the new modes, all of that new stuff that we saw. I would say that since you are the one in the office with probably the most maker background from the original game, um, I am happy that I'm paired with you for this because I'm definitely more of a a newbie for the Super Mario Maker games. But one of the things um, that I'm really excited about with the new game is that it has a story mode for the first time because I've always been a little intimidated about creating and coming up with my own original stuff, but love watching what other people make and with the new story mode, I'm really looking forward to getting some inspiration. And I mean, it's basically a full Mario game in and of itself because there's over a hundred original courses in there. Um, and I think that's going to be a really great starting point for people like me who feel intimidated about a blank canvas and where to start. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I got to try just a little bit of the story mode so far. And what I really love about it, just as we saw in the video, is every time you're in one of those levels, it kind of in a subversive kind of way teaches you about some aspect of the game. So I think for people that maybe um, are more players and, and, and maybe less interested in the making part of it, um, it starts to inspire you and kind of help, you know, through going through it as a player, you start to understand how these levels are put together. Yeah, between the story mode and being able to play other makers courses online, there's there's going to be an infinite amount of stuff to play and inspiration to find and see all the creative things that people come up with themselves to do at the different stages. I mean, when I was going down a rabbit hole the other day, I was seeing that people create stages that aren't just, I mean, they're not just traditional Mario platformers. So being able to to make courses that are musicals and puzzles and and things like that um, is what makes this game really special. And now that you can tag the games with uh, your, your courses with different tags like puzzle making and things like that, you can find the sort of things that you really like to play the most. So there's a lot of great stuff for, for players there. Yeah, I love that whole aspect of the online functionality. And for the original Super Mario Maker on Wii U, that was something that was kind of introduced later through the Super Mario Maker bookmark website, where you could go on there and it had some of those enhanced, um, some of that enhanced search functionality that actually wasn't um, originally put into the first game. But now all of that and more is is here built into the game. So you don't need that external website and you can just, you know, find the exact type of levels that you're looking for. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is great because I know that there's certain types of levels I really like to play. Uh, I actually, you know, being a, a, um, an older gamer and growing up with a lot of those um, 8 and 16-bit games are really what I have the most passionate nostalgia for. I really like playing those types of levels, um, you know, more so than the other ones, the more modern stuff. So I think it will be fun for me to just dive in there and just search for those types of levels. Search and then of by course, game style. Yeah. But of course, the, the Super Mario 3D World levels look really cool, too. So I know. maybe I'll want to just some days be in the mood to play, you know, look for those types of levels specifically. Yeah, I know there was kart. You could do a form of kart racing in the original. But now that 3D World is being added to the game, uh, just getting that glimpse of what you saw in the Nintendo Direct of... of the kart racing in the 3D world style makes me really excited to see what people do with that. And it sounds like so much fun and the way you might be able to navigate differently in the courses could be could be really cool. That's right. And especially with that Koopa car, just yes. being able to hop in there and then you add the slopes to the game as yeah. well. And you can just see yourself like on a roller coaster through the whole level, basically. Just going on a really wild ride. 
And um, for me, I think uh, it's so hard for me to pick a favorite. But the two things that really made me pay attention the most uh, during that video was, um, which might not seem like an especially huge thing, uh, but for someone that made a bunch of levels like me, I really liked the ability to stop the scrolling. And as they explained, you can just take a, a straight line of blocks, go from the very bottom of the, the level to the top, basically wall it off. And then that tells the game that if you've got, um, like, for example, if you want to have like a coin bonus room or something, you won't be able to see past that point. So how you used to have to do that and how I did in a lot of the levels that I made for the original game is I would have to make that secret room and then kind of put Mario, you know, demo it out, put Mario up against the wall and then see how far out past that room I could actually visibly see on the screen. Then I would go back into maker mode and fill up that that space with blocks, basically, just to ensure that he could not see other parts of the stage that he wasn't supposed to know about yet. And um, but now you don't have to do that. That actually wasted a lot of space and even a lot of parts um, because they are even though there's a ton of them, they do have a limit. And um, now you can just pack everything much more closely together without people being able to see past points that would spoil what's coming later in the level. So that's just a nice, um, you know, quality of life uh, improvement that that I really was excited to see. And yeah, I was just going to say, you can add even more stuff to them, too, like any of the new, oh, like the, the moon would be a really cool one to add to how you build those stages too. And maybe those reward rooms could be hidden in the night area if you go through a warp pipe and things like that. I know, speaking of bonus areas, just imagine you're playing a regular style level, but then you pop into a warp pipe, all of a sudden, if you're using the right night theme, you flipped upside down, you're now on the ceiling trying to navigate some special challenge, then you're back in the pipe, back, back to right side up again. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Yeah. And then, um, you know, maybe another kind of new addition that I think more people would probably consider one of their favorites that is in as little bit of a, of a, of a nerdy maker thing like that I just picked is um, the vertical scrolling. You know, so you can have your level scroll vertically. And some of the first thoughts that came to mind were the classic um, Metroid levels that a lot of the, the areas in the original Metroid games would scroll vertically. So you could even see re- recreating that to some degree and placing pipes instead of doors to take you to the more horizontal scrolling sections. Um, you could also see when you combine that with auto scrolling and the ability now for water or lava to fill up the floor, you could have a basically be in a tower that is filling up with lava and you have to keep constantly climbing to stay ahead of it. Oh, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. Maybe even hop in the, the new uh, dry bone shell they have that you can kind of surf on the lava. Yes. I was hoping that somebody would make a cool like surfing theme stage where it's just totally designed for you to surf through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. And the cool thing about a lot of these parts is that so many of them on the surface, there's, you know, the, the basic functionality of that part can just add fun to the stage. But then you take something like the, uh, the twisters that blows the, uh, the air up and can kind of make any, um, can kind of suck in any enemy or player or items and kind of keep them floating in the air or even the parachutes that you can add to things to make them drop more slowly. Those are the kinds of things that, that have some basic surface level fun, but then really clever creators are going to be able to get in there and really manipulate and use those particular items in a way where I, you know, you'll just be able to do things or that'll be able to facilitate some other ideas that you couldn't have imagined, you know, when you started. Oh, wow. You really, you really dig into the the nitty gritty. It's really cool to see the kind of things that you pick up on and think about how they can be used. I mean, for me as someone who's more a, a player, I see some of the parts in there that are introduced and get excited about just experiencing them in different ways that you haven't been able to in previous games, in, in traditional Mario games, I should say. Um, like, uh, I know some of the sound effects in the original game were really fun and interesting, and there's some new ones here that I am looking forward to, like the pig oink sound from Mario Paint. All um, right. That one was a fun one. And uh, just like there are certain enemies you maybe may not be able to de- defeat in a traditional Mario game, like those giant spiky thwomps. Um, and you get a glimpse of that in the direct where you can actually destroy them using certain abilities. So there's going to be new ways of looking at the Mario games you've played for the last 30 years, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and you know, back to your point, too, I, one of the things that I've, I think personally is so great about this series is that it's, it is very, very approachable. I mean, my son, even when the first game came out, he was much younger. He's, he's about to turn nine now. But 
Um, so even when he was several years younger, he could uh, sit down and quickly put together a level and a level that works, that was fun, and, and we had a lot of fun challenging each other to levels that we'd made. But then if you do really want to get into it and really kind of build something very ambitious, it has the depth to allow for that too. So um, it really is this great balance between, you know, anybody can quickly make a level regardless of your your experience level with Mario games or, or making this kind of stuff. Uh, but once you start to learn, you find that there's just so much more nuance that you can keep building and building upon. So I think that's why I ended up playing the first one for 600 hours, because as the more I played it, the more I learned and the more it made me want to try new things. That's so bananas when I think about the concept of breaking down 600 hours. I think one of the only games I've played that long is probably Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Right. And that was maybe 300 hours. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Well, that's pretty great of its own, and and this is six hundred hours for Mario Maker One is definitely my record. And I think the only reason I got that far was because my son was just as into it. We played it a lot awesome. together, which makes me excited for the actual two-player co-op making feature yes. that they have now. Because uh, as much as we, he likes to, I try to like build levels that I think Nintendo might make. I'm like, yeah. here, son, this is this professionally polished <laughs> level, and he just tries to build stuff to troll me and just constantly. You know, his challenge is that I won't be able to beat it. So it'll be fun, I think, for us to slap together something real quick and then see which one of us, you know, we can even pop into the multiplayer and see which one of us can actually race and make it to the end first. And thinking about that multiplayer versus, uh, uh, the thing that excites me is, as a creator is creating a level where at certain points you're forcing the players to work together. I love that idea that, you know, you're out for uh, for yourself and you're really going against each other, but sometimes you might have to, you know, both take on a boss, like we saw in, in the video, or, you know, you might have to both work together to solve a puzzle. And then how do you go from being teammates to adversaries back and forth? Right, because at the end of the day, it's who clears the stage first or jumps on the goalpost that gets the most points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and between working together and ultimately being the winner to get the, to the goal at the end, um, the goal may not be as simple as just reaching the end, right? Because within you can also set the clear conditions for the right. stage now, which is something that's new. So it may not just be reaching the end; it may be getting all the coins in the stages. It may be defeating all the goombas in the stage. There's all kinds of things that you can add in terms of puzzling ways to get people to to achieve those goals and reach the end. Yeah, like collect all the coins, don't take damage. That's going to be a lot of fun yeah. if you build the levels right. Hopefully, people will take the extra challenge into account. Yeah, and, and maybe reward with some thirty coin giant 30 coins just as a gift yeah that's great too because in a lot of the uh super mario games um i always appreciated having those big like uh, yoshi coins or star coins in different games uh, that just gave you that extra little incentive like instead of just clearing the level can you get these special things as well and um so when you look at the clear challenges and also the ability to kind of pop in that extra incentive those big coins um i think the levels will get a lot more can get a lot more interesting potentially there's a lot more to do than just go straight to the end and um speaking of interesting uh things uh another thing that was a favorite um new part of mine is the on off switch and throughout the the video they kept coming back to like all these different things you can pair the on off switch with like for example you can have it um uh change uh tracks when you lay out a track you know so you can be riding a platform hit the switch changes tracks you can also have it change the direction of a conveyor belt, or you can pair it with spike blocks in the Super Mario 3D World game style. So when you hit the on-off switch, the spikes will either come out or go back in. So you're going to be able to make some really cool puzzling levels. And um, certain levels that I really like and that have been in previous Super Mario games are the ones where you get that you know beep, 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 and the platforms change. The blue disappears, the pink appears, and then yeah. you keep switching. And they're going to straight up put those blinking blocks, I think they're called, into the Super Mario 3D World mm -hmm. game style. But then you can also recreate that in um, any other game style using the, the, the on-off switch. Because um, one way that, that you can do it, and I think um, we kind of saw this before, was that if you have uh, a shell kind of bouncing back and forth between two on-off switches, depending on how close or far apart they are, then you'll be hitting those red blocks or blue blocks will be appearing or disappearing. So you can basically automate that. And, uh, you know, again, that's just one of those elements that people are going to go crazy with and get really creative with and make who knows what in these levels. Oh, yeah, that'll be that'll be a really cool one, too. Now you've got my head spinning. I don't know why it's gone down the rails of thinking about how you could create some kind of 
pathing through a haunted mansion to create like a haunted house level or something of your own that kind of guides you through as if it were an amusement or something like that. Yeah. And speaking of haunted house, you can go into the ghost house theme now. And use play the, in the dark. Play in the dark with the night theme. Even pop some ghosts mm-hmm. in. You can play as Luigi, and mm-hmm. suddenly you've got your own little. I was totally thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, Luigi's earlier. mansion. That was the first thing that popped in my mind when I thought of playing in the dark in that level was making your own little Luigi's mansion stage. Ah. Yeah. I yeah, I can't that. wait to think of uh, how to theme, um, you know, different levels around those new playable characters and the new parts. Well, I could talk about this game forever, and I probably will keep talking later today once the mics are off, but um, I do want to get over to Capcom. Um, Really quick, though, I just want to uh, reiterate for people that didn't see the announcement that came out a little while ago, uh, the game is scheduled to come out on June 28th. The video also announced the Super Mario Maker 2 Invitational 2019 Tournament on June 8th, so that'll be a good opportunity to get a good look at this game, and I can't wait to see the levels and the the torture that we put these uh, players through because... Um, that was really fun to watch at E3 2015 when we had a similar event for um, the original Super Mario Maker. So looking forward to that. All right. Stephanie, you ready to head to Capcom? Yep. Let's do it. Great. All right. We'll see you there. All right. So, Stephanie, we survived the trip up the 101 to Capcom here in San Francisco, and we are now joined by Mike Lund, the senior brand manager at Capcom. Hi, Mike. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for uh, you know inviting us up here because this is an amazing office. Like I still haven't seen the whole thing yet, but just walking in, I can't my eyes can't stop darting from all the cool statues. And <laughs> you've got an arcade. I don't know what's going on there. I've got to check it all out. Yeah, we've got a lot of fun stuff. A lot of good brands spanning from you know back in the arcade eras. We've got new stuff. We've got big statues from all the big shows like E3 coming up. So uh, it's a little bit of a playland. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Now, just theoretically, what would happen if one of those big statues like turned up missing shortly after I left? I mean, they change out a lot, so I mean, you could maybe get away with it. Let's talk about <laughs> wow. that afterwards. You know, I'm just there are two Mega Man statues. <laughs> Who would notice? That's All true. right, we'll just edit this part out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're here to talk specifically about the three Resident Evil games coming to Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch on May 21st. That's Resident Evil, uh, Resident Evil Zero, and Resident Evil Four. Um, obviously, remade versions uh, with enhancements over the original versions mm-hmm. that released way back when. And uh, Mike, for those who aren't familiar with these games, or maybe you know played one but not the other, can you give us like a quick introduction to these, and also kind of what their, you know, what uh, new enhancements they may have from the per- versions people played originally? Sure. So Resident Evil, just for people if if they haven't heard of that, is it's primarily a survival horror franchise, action, adventure, um, thrills, all that type of stuff. Um, but the first one, Resident Evil, um, originally came out in 1996, but we remade it in 2002, if I remember correct, early 2002 for the GameCube. Um, but the version that we're going to be releasing shortly on May 21st, it's a lot of enhancements as well. Resident Evil is mostly about, you know, going down creepy corridors, zombies stalking you the whole time, limited resources and ammo. So generally there's going to be more stuff coming at you than you can dispatch with whatever weapons that you have. But um, there's puzzles mixed in. There's a lot of, you know, jump scares, stuff coming through windows. Um, it's a lot of fun, but got a lot of characters that got their start off from there. Chris Redfield, Jill Valentine, that you might remember from other series games. Um but like you mentioned, over the years, we've added some stuff as well. Um, new control schemes. We've added new bosses, new areas, new costumes, a lot of stuff. Um, but moving on from there, Resident Evil Zero, the next one, which is actually a prequel title, um, tells a tale of one of the characters before they get to the mansion from the original game. Um, her name is Rebecca Chambers. This one changes things up a little bit. It's still a single-player game, but you have a co-op partner. Um, so the story setup is she's on her way to the mansion. She gets a mission change to track down this uh, ex, or sorry, convict that's escaped. His name is Billy. Um, they both manage to end up on a train uh, that's owned by Umbrella, unfortunately. So there's tons of nasty, you know, bio weapons and zombies and other things on there as well. So you can imagine how that goes. But they've really got to work together to survive at the end of the day. So what that means in terms of gameplay is you basically have an AI, AI character at your side at all times that has, you know, they have weapons. You can kind of bark out orders to have them be more aggressive, stay back, be passive. Um, but you'll use them to not only for combat purposes, but to solve puzzles, other things like that as well. Um, and then last but not least, uh, Resident Evil 4, which came out in 2005. This one was a huge game changer. So from then, Ari was mostly about being kind of like a top-down tank control adventure. This one went over the shoulder, brought back Resident Evil 2's hero, Leonis Kennedy, and he's now uh, a government agent. He's a little bit more seasoned. 
he is on a mission to save the president's daughter who's been kidnapped from uh eric been kidnapped by a organization in europe called los illuminados and essentially what happens you are stuck in a village in somewhere in europe they speak spanish but it's not spain um and from there you uh shooting action is a lot more refined versus the other games essentially you get pinpoint accuracy you can aim at their knees and knock them over you can you know knock their hats off their head versus back in the day where it was a little bit more simplified um but lots of things were changed not only the perspective the inventory management um the way you're interacting with the characters the way you interact with bosses but um super fun game and does a really good action horror mixture so but lots to go through. But yeah, super exciting to finally have these games in Nintendo Switch. Well, thank you, Mike. That was a very good foundation of all three of the games. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, I think. So I think it'd be kind of cool if we talked a little bit about what makes an, a Resident Evil game a Resident Evil game to you. Because these games, all three of them, are pretty different and from different eras, mm-hmm. as you were saying. Like one's a little more action-focused and the others are lean much more into the adventure elements of the game and more like Tight, different kind of pacing, but I think between each of the games, there's there's a lot of threads there that still keeps the series being very Resident Evil, even though that may mean something different to all of us depending on when you got into the series. So, what does RE mean to you guys? Like, is it about the I don't know crazy wacky boss fights that always have a giant eyeball at some point that you have to destroy? <laughs> series trademark, or is it about the characters that you care about? What what do you really look forward to in, in the games for me i really i really enjoy the characters character driven action whether it's you know slower paced horror stuff or you know shooting stuff like re4 um i really enjoy those so it's nice to have you know see guys like chris redfield or jill valentine kind of like make their start in the older games and progress throughout and see how they sort of evolve as characters and at the same time see how the games evolve so it's nice to see them as as a you know slower paced horror adventure when we're back in the mansion but then how things progress through time so um, but yeah, that's at least one way. But aside from that, I do like how dynamic things are. It tries new things. So back in the day, it was RE was all about sort of like being on the cutting edge of technology and trying new things. They had the static camera uh, angles that it was it probably had been done before, but we really helped really push that to the forefront. I feel. Um, and for the visuals back in the day, they were super top notch. Obviously, nowadays you go and boot up the original games versus the remade versions and they don't cook quite as well, but um, we're always trying to push the push the, the envelope in terms of like what we're putting in our games technology-wise. So um, having a top-down you know, horror game and then having more of a shooter game, um, it just changing the levels of immersion and what the games offer I think is kind of cool. It's not always the same thing. Yeah, I think for me, um, like you said, it, it, even though it's it's always changing, there's a, there's certain constant threads, and there's a, there's a tone to Resident Evil, at least to me, and especially with the the first um, uh, you know kind of I guess you'd say you know series of games, uh, including the ones we're talking about now. It's it's you know well first of all, when the first Resident Evil came out, it, it really coined the term survival horror. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't there were other horror games, but there really wasn't anything like that. And since then, horror has become more of a of a genre, I guess, for gaming. But still, there's something unique about Resident Evil, and part of it to me is, I feel like it's kind of this blockbuster horror. Like you said, you've got very strong characters, and at the same time, you've got some really suspenseful um, kind of cerebral moments uh, where it's really about uh, more of the um, um, psychological side of being in this scary situation, being locked in this mansion. There's also these really over-the-top, bombastic kind of action scenes. So I, I think Resident Evil marries the two very well, and so I think it's a very particular brand of, of video game horror. Definitely. Steph, what about you? Oh, I think you guys mentioned a few of my favorites. I definitely love the character so much, and um, after playing one and only seeing a little bit of Rebecca, I think that's why I really like Zero, is actually getting to play as her for the first time as like a full for the full game. Um, was really great because those characters are so fun. I think they give you just enough depth to each character to really find something that you love about each of them. And the fact that you're with them on these adventures, like there's, of course, this bigger story, the Umbrella Corporation, evil, bad, big bad guy always in each of the games. But there's always like really fun breadcrumb trails to find throughout the game. All the notes that you find that are just bits and pieces, piecing things together of like real accounts of people living in this universe and scientists that are part of this that maybe feel guilty or bad things happen to them, even though they were part of the big plot. So I think it's 
the little story nuggets and characters that are my my favorite part about it. That's actually a really good note because they uh, even just you know one of Resident Evil's famous things is to have like notes and literature kind of scattered throughout, and uh, some of them are you know really fodder kind of meaningless. Some of them helps to solve puzzles, but some of them are references to characters that basically aren't referenced at all otherwise. And only until um, recently, uh, we had one. I remember it was. Uh, it remember it referenced the fact that Albert Wesker, like longtime series villain, had a. He was part of like a project. He wasn't like the only one, and that he basically had like siblings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, until um, Resident Evil Revelations Two, where uh, you see a little bit more of that coming into the picture. Um, so it's interesting. So they sort of take that and run with it. They make those little lines, and then they if we want to take it further or draw that story out more, we're able to. So um, sometimes I don't know if it's done intentionally, but I think it's nice to have there either way. <laughs> <laughs> I think the series is good about having, um, you know, you can you can approach any of these games for the first time and, you know, it, it's easy to hop in and kind of understand the world and get to know the characters. But then if you've been playing the whole series and you can, you have that extra depth of knowledge, there's a lot there to really kind of piece together. Um, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. You can kind of look at it as one big whole, or you can just enjoy each individual installment. Definitely. That's a good point. You can definitely play any of these as single adventures on their own. Like you, Just because they have numbers next to them doesn't mean you shouldn't start with RE4 or any other game in the series because they're just fun adventures on their own. And if you happen to know more of their past, that's mm-hmm. a, a reward for sure, but you definitely don't need it. Yeah, I usually finish the game like, yes, I beat the boss, I solved the story, and I go on the online forums to talk with my friends who are also about the story, and everyone's talking about something I completely missed from the notes and, like, tinfoiling hat theories about, like, all the characters they didn't see. And I was like, oh, man, I missed a lot. Like, so, uh, you know, whether you're there for the story or the characters or really sort of the ongoing narrative for the brands and characters, it's, uh, you know, there's something for everybody. That was me. I was full tinfoil hat at the end of RE. <laughs> After Revelations 2, uh, I won't talk about it, obviously. Major spoilers, yeah. but um, that sent me down a rabbit hole. Nice. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this. Where would you start in terms of Resident Evil or Resident Evil Zero? Because Zero is obviously a prequel. Mm-hmm. Would you play still the original Resident Evil and then go to the prequel to find out what happened? Or would you actually start with Zero if you're coming to the series fresh? I would recommend one or just Resident Evil, we call it, or mm-hmm. Resident Evil Remake, We sometimes people call it. Because um, it really just sort of sets up, it sets up not only the story narrative-wise, but also kind of like the gameplay as well. So mm-hmm. um, if you're familiar with the way the game plays and how it functions in one, um, the elements in zero help build off of that. Um, ah, there's some right. things that like you you have the, you know, the basic sort of tank controls or isometric controls now in the new ones. Um, but zero adds an element of like having another character there. And um, in one, you got used to um, there's basically a, a magic item box where you can drop as many items as you want and you can find an item box wherever else in the mansion and pick up your items from it if you need to. Um, but in Zero, it's actually different. There's no boxes. You can just leave things on the floor, whereas if you did that in one, your item would just magically disappear. So there are differences, and I think if you really wanted to, you could start with Zero to sort of see how it actually goes like chronologically, but mm-hmm. one is definitely my pick to start off with. You mentioned controls, and I just want to digress for a second, because um, you know Resident Evil famously um, it was always kind of the original games, at least, were always shown from this isometric point of view, and mm-hmm. and and uh, one way that uh, that was dealt with in the original Resident Evil was, like you said, those what they call tank controls, um, which I don't know if I could describe it, but I think anyone who's played the Resident Evil games will know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but now you have the option of you know going with that original old school method if that's what you remember and that's what you love, or um, playing with. Um, um, I guess what you would call maybe more of a of a general control. Yeah, we system. call I, we we use kind of the term like isometric, like top down. Basically, as you move the the analog stick, the character will move run run a circle with it type thing. Versus the the tank controls, which if you hit left or right, your character just turns on a plane, and then you have to actually hit forward to essentially thrust the character for, forward. So mm-hmm. where uh, up is not up. Yeah, basically. up is not. Yeah, yeah. Playing the first or replaying the first Resident Evil again on Nintendo, on Nintendo Switch, I um I found myself switching between the too because one is always mapped to the analog stick and one mm-hmm. is mapped mm-hmm. to the uh, control buttons so there were certain situations where I would kind of go back and forth and I thought that worked pretty well yeah I jumped in the the first time we played the remake when I had the brand new controls I originally like I, I wanted to try the new stuff but my hands remembered so much playing the original that like I would 
like fall in and out of trying to use forward as like the the thrust tank control <laughs> stuff. So um, eventually I got the hang of it, but it's definitely I think for people that hadn't maybe played the new ones, the the old controls may be a little little much at times. So mm-hmm. there's the option there. If you if you're some of the old the old guards, we uh, appreciate the fans who've been there the whole series. You might appreciate the tank controls, but we've got options. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is, uh, for someone like myself that really played um, these games back when they were brand new and haven't gone back too much in a while, um, they kind of look like uh, you and play like maybe you would rem- you would think you remember. Like, uh, you know, of course, back then the games weren't in widescreen, mm-hmm. but now they are. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, if you play this, initially you might not recognize just how uh, much more advanced they are than the original versions, but you go back and compare and it's been quite a jump. Oh, yeah. And things like even we're going back on the controls thing, like... Uh, you're walking down the hall and there's a zombie. Basically, he's blocking your way aside from like a little bit you can get by him. But in the first game, there wasn't even a, uh, there wasn't even like a 180 spin so you couldn't try to like juke or dodge or anything. But now with the full analog controls, you can go back and like pump fake brakes ankles and get around if you really want to do type thing. So new options. But yeah, definitely. I want to ask you guys something else. Um, I remember playing... um, you know, one of my strongest memories playing the original Resident Evil is that classic scene, and, and it's a little bit of a spoiler, not too bad, though. I think it happens fairly early on, where um, you start to walk down this hall. Looks like the hall's empty, like you're totally safe. And then uh, these zombie dogs basically just come crashing through the windows. And I was playing it in the middle of the night. No one else was around, and I, I jumped, and I yelled. Uh, and, of course, the series is famous for those jump scare moments. Uh, what are some moments that really got you guys? I think for me, it's another one from Res- the original Resident Evil, uh, the remake though. Uh, the scene where you're you're collecting these masks to to put in these slots in this room that are, you know, you're looking ahead and you know they're going to unleash this chained up coffin and there's something inside of it because it's moving. So mm. you, you know you're building to something horrible. And even when you finally put the last mask in and the coffin opens up, it's still terrifying. He comes out, he's got these really long nails, he's moving really slow like all the zombies you've seen so far in the game, but then suddenly he can also move really fast and he slashes at you with his long nails and it's just, it's a small room, it's very scary, and that introduces like the first time I think you see one of those faster, scarier zombies in the game. Mm -hmm. I encountered that, that coffin for the first time playing through again the other night and I was just like, it was at the far end of the room, and I just didn't even want to go near it. I'd kind of forgotten how that worked, and I was like, is he going to bust out right away? So I'm like taking one step, two steps. <laughs> yeah, for me, like uh, the we're, we're really famous for having stuff go through glass, and you think that every window now you're looking around and be like, is that is this going to be the one? Um, so I'll, I'll go away from the stuff busting through the glass this time, but mine comes through for um, at a personal experience. It's a it's an enemy that you encounter probably mid-game. You actually do fight as a boss, so I don't want to get too far into it. I want to know. It's, uh, it's I'll, I'll tell you the name. The name is a Verdugo. Um, oh, okay. And essentially what happens is Leon is in a sewer. You are basically going through, getting to one end of the section of the sewer, and you close the door. And as soon as you start walking, it shows a first-person, like, slithery perspective of this monster basically stalking behind you and getting to the door that you were just at. And every door you go through, it keeps getting progressively closer. And I was I was playing in the dark. It was, like, like quintessential, like, blanket over my head in the dark with my controller. And I kept hearing things behind me. And the last one, like, I threw the controller and just, like, ran up the stairs on my hands and knees, like, looking <laughs> behind me, like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, but, yeah, it's it's uh, there's been a lot of jump scares. And even the ones that you've seen, I'm still surprised by how uh, impactful they can be, even if you know they're coming. So, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, we're really famous for having those jump scare moments. I have to pause to say I'm very appreciative that you called out the blanket fort as mm-hmm. your way to play because playing them on, on handheld has been really awesome for me. Playing it on Nintendo Switch, I've been full blanket mode oh, yeah. on the couch. <laughs> like, you don't even know I'm there until I start yelling. It's <laughs> ultimate immersion. It's, it's been awesome. <laughs> I'm the opposite way. If, I, if it's getting a little too scary, just full-on lights, oh. TVs on. <laughs> Maybe I'm in a park, very, you know, not scary at all setting. <laughs> oh, man. So I'm going to force you guys to pick, if you just had to pick a favorite out of one of these three games, mm-hmm. Resident Evil, Resident Evil Zero, Resident Evil 4, which one would it be? If I had to pick, it, it's tough because I, I love all my children equally, but... Uh, if I had to pick, it would probably be four because uh, I always use the analogy. It's like chocolate, peanut butter, horror, and action, the perfect mix. Mm-hmm. I love Leon as a character. I love 
shooting like the enemies in a knee and then doing like the silly suplex or spin kick or something like that it's very satisfying so between that and the story and just how exciting it is that's my pick it's really hard for me to pick because i i also really love every single Mm -hmm. resident evil game well most of them (laughs) um and played all of them when they first came out and it's been really fun replaying them all but i think there's definitely one that I, I get a lot more smiles out of. And I, I love horror. Like, I love being scared. It's so much fun for me. So it would have to be the original Resident Evil just because it has so much of an emphasis on tension around every corner and surprises. And not just jump scares. It's not really all about jump scares. It's really about building that creeping tension that I really like. And you think you're done with a room and then you find a puzzle piece and you're like, oh, I have to go back in the room with the dogs. I tried to avoid them. And... Yeah, so I definitely would pick the original Resident Evil, the remake version especially, since a lot of the, the stuff really turned it stu- turned it on its head from what you expected. I mean, even when you open the front doors in the mansion in the original, uh, the dogs would come out and come racing towards you, but you would close the door really quickly and they're, they're out there. But you think you remember that, and then you open the doors in the remake and they flip it on its head and the dogs can come inside the mansion and now you're trapped with them in the lobby. I, I just love that they do things like that. It's, yeah, it's a little so like cool. you think you know, but like, oh, check this out. Like, yeah. oh, oh, no, no, oh, no, no, Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that in the, in the original Resident Evil. And in, in the bef, bef, like you, you said, before we get to the more action-focused uh, Resident Evils, uh, that creeping sense of dread, a lot of that comes from not just being trapped in a you know, mansion full of zombies, but also the the limited resources. So you know you've only got, you know, so many bullets left and you can't just find those, you know, whenever you want. You, very, um, you really have to conserve your ammo and your, your, your healing herbs and things like that. So I think that really leads to, to the charm of those original games. I, I'm a little bit torn. I, I want to go with the original Resident Evil because of the nostalgia and also just having it be the first experience like that ever in a game for me. Um, but I think the one that um, I would probably have to pick is is, is like you, like Resident Evil 4. Um, it is because you get your action. It's your chocolate and your peanut butter. Like mm-hmm. you said, you get everything, and it's it, it tastes great together. So yeah. <laughs> that would be my pick. All right. Well, um, before we move on from uh, Resident Evil, I want to also mention that Resident Evil Revelations 1 and 2 are also available on Nintendo Switch. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of Resident Evil survival horror goodness on yep. Nintendo Switch right now. Those are also, those games, after a while, the, the Resident Evil brand, kind of after 4, took more of an action turn. Um, the Resident Evil Resolution series are essentially the product of us dialing things back, coming into more of the RE4 format, where it is more horror-based. So Revolutions 1, you're essentially on, you play as Jill Valentine, who's actually in the first Resident Evil game, um, on a essentially like a ghost cruise ship who's almost mansion-like like the original. Um, Revelations 2, you're out in the open. Claire Redfield, Barry Burton, who Barry's in the original game. Claire is in 2 and onward. But again, it's got those classic characters and new situations, fun mechanics. But it all, I would if I had to ache them to any game that we were talking about today, they're definitely more like 4. So, Right. Great. Well, I've got, uh, I now have enough Resident Evil on my Nintendo Switch to last me until the actual zombie apocalypse. (laughs) So we'll uh, move on from there to pros picks. Um, This is the segment uh, every episode where we talk about the games that we've been playing and enjoying lately. And Mike, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, so I, I play my Switch quite a bit. Um, I commute the train, and so I'm always looking for bite-sized experiences. Um, somehow I managed to play all the way through Dark Souls, somewhat on the train, somewhat at home. Um, but after a while, that I'm, I'm, it's, it's tough when you're trying to keep your balance and do very specific action and platforming. So now I've fallen back into uh, a game that I've always wanted to check out, Valhalla. Um, mm. Cyberpunk bartender action, I think the subtitle is. Essentially, it's more of a visual novel style where you play as a bartender, um, great, like talking with customers. I'm not super far into the story yet, but um, it's a nice chiller vibe. I can play it at home. I can play it on the train if I'm on the flight. Um, and it's just a very nice like relaxing type game. So get a little bit of column A where I've done the action games and now I'm ready to fall back into something where it's just, you know, for whatever I get a chance to check it out, I will. Yeah, I, you know, I've been really curious about that one because it has that, well, first of all, it's a very unique mm-hmm. premise, but then it also has that kind of retro gaming look to it, which I love. Um, so what is the, I mean, just really briefly, like what mm-hmm. is the, the structure? Like I get that you're kind of in a cyberpunk world and you're kind of meeting people, I guess, as they come into the bar and you're yeah. mixing drinks. But what does, what's like the game structure? What does that build up to? Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I've only, I'm only probably like an hour in. And essentially like what you mentioned, there's, there's mechanics for mixing drinks and 
there's like a lot of optional things. So the guys, the the patrons will come in and you know delve out a story, and you they'll always continuously ask for drinks. Sometimes in a obscure way, so they're not going to be like, I want this drink with ice and have it aged. They'll kind of mix it into the story what they want. And I think depending on if you make the right thing that they're talking about, you'll get like a different branching path. The overarching story of like what if there's, you know, a hypothetical like big bad or like a giant narrative. I haven't gotten to that. I'm still uh, I'm still a newbie bartender. Um but yeah, I mean I'm excited to learn more. It's excited. It's 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 pretty chill and I, I'm looking for one of those games yeah. right now. Cool. Sounds interesting. All right, Stephanie, what have you been playing? My game is the least chill. <laughs> um, <laughs> It is, uh, I've been playing a lot of, I've been playing a lot of games at once. I've been swapping from like Final Fantasy VII to a few other things, but the one I wanted to call out is a game called Catastronauts. Have either of hmm. you guys heard of it? No, heard of it. The you name have? sounds heard cool. Heard of it, haven't played it yet. It is not Cat Astronauts, it is Catastronauts <laughs> as in catastrophe in space. Um, it's, I would liken it most to Overcooked type of game where it's a co-op um, disaster game where you're working together to keep the ship in one piece and also continuously also be shooting at the aliens so that you can wave them off and, and maintain your ship. And the difference between that and Overcooked is really that it's, it's more reactive. You're really, things are just happening to you constantly and you're working together. You're calling out like, oh, a meteor's coming. Stop everything. Go get the meteor. Or there's a fire in the hole. Go get the fire. Okay, I'll load the missile into the bay. Meet me in the front. We'll shoot the gun together at the same time. It's so much fun. I love it so much. I just finished it, um, but I've been reintroducing it to a lot of friends because they've been super into it and like playing Overcooked too. Um, it's definitely got the aesthetic of Overcooked. That's why I keep, I think, going back to that. And it's a lot of the like management of things going on and working together. I'm super fun. Would recommend it if anyone is looking for a good co-op game to play together locally. It sounds like a fun game. I'll check it out. I, I just really like those kind of games where you have to manage a lot of chaos. Gotcha. Yeah. This is the kind of game that can turn friends into enemies? Um, It hasn't happened yet. So far, so good. Maybe <laughs> I just have, I know good people. <laughs> there you go. You've assembled a good crew. Yes, good astronauts. You do unlock a cat astronaut. I don't know if that's a spoiler, but <laughs> it's a big thing to develop. People kept thinking it was about cats, and I'm like, fine, we'll put one in. Yeah, yeah. people keep asking <laughs> me. So cats feels like a missed opportunity. So I just feel like cat astronaut. Yes, you unlock one. Yeah. It's fine. It's not what the game's about, but you get one. Well, for me, um, I've been spending uh, most of my time playing Katana Zero, mm. uh, which uh, you know, again, anybody who listens to the show, I'm always talking about my love for the old school looking games. Uh, I love the research they've had on Nintendo Switch and especially with indie developers and um, you know for people that don't know this game is I've seen it compared a lot to Celeste if Celeste had combat and I think that's kind of a fair um, you know kind of a characterization you basically bust into a room and and, um, basically you know one hit and you you fail and you have to start the room over but the rooms are kind of bite-sized so that's not a big deal and uh, you have the ability to slow time. So as you're rushing through, you can do these cool things like, you know, wall jump up to this area, take this one guy out, slow time, knock a bullet back with your sword to get the other guy, pick up a, a, a lamp or a, a butcher's knife or something to, you know, take out this other guy, and then you're through the room. And um, so the path that you take through the room, as much as it's really fast and focuses on great reflexes, it kind of becomes puzzle solving too. So you're trying to find the most effective way to get through there. And, um, you know, that just becomes the puzzle element becomes more and more pronounced as the game goes along and it gets tougher and you really have to think through what you're doing. And it has this crazy, um, really dark story going on too, kind of cyberpunkish, and, you know, you've lost your memory and you're getting parts of it back and there are parts of the game that kind of fools with you as the player, fools with your perception and kind of, you know, screws around with you a little bit. So um, it's kind of trippy and, and and it's also a game that when you're, when you're done will kind of leave you thinking about it and re-examining what you just saw from the beginning and kind of wanting to play it ag- again. Um, so um, so I've really been enjoying that and, and just finished that. I'm looking forward to, um, they've announced DLCs coming, a free DLC like speedrun mode and things like Ooh. that. So oh, wow. even more reasons to hop on board. Very nice. I have heard a lot about that game. Yeah. So that's that's there's so many in my backlog right now, but I will definitely get to that one for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And and then the complete opposite of that, my chill games lately have been uh, Picross uh, S2 yeah. and um, Box Boy, Box Girl. Oh, I've really been, been enjoying those. Yeah. I've also really heard, I, I haven't got into it, but again, in my backlog is, uh, is it, uh, what is it? It's, it's Abba Is You? What is it? Baba Is You. Abba Is You. Um, 
that one looks super fascinating. Um, I bet I'm going to have the hardest time playing it, but just from like a pure like game concept level, I'm like, that's really cool. Like, yeah. I wish I brought my Nintendo Switch with me. I would have let you play it after yeah, this. <laughs> yeah, Stephanie, you actually recommended that one on a yeah, previous episode. I love that game. It really, it, there's nothing like it. Like, yeah. There's no game that you can even really compare it to because it's really unique in the way it has its, the, the use of syntax as a puzzle element mm-hmm. is, is awesome. It's one of those ones I think I saw like stage two and uh, I, I was like, you're, you're pretty far in this game. This is pretty tough. And they're like, no, this is the beginning. So even though I kind of admire like, wow, that's really cool what you're doing. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty tough it, it's for people like me, I guess. Uh, so, Well, some good stuff for people to maybe check out if they haven't already. And now we're going to move on to Player's Pulse. Um, and uh, this time we went on Twitter and asked people, you know, since we were going to be at Capcom, um, to tell us what their favorite Capcom um, game is um, specifically, not just series, but favorite Capcom game and maybe tell us why. And really quickly, we got a ton of responses. I mean, it's obvious that Capcom's a publisher that's been around for a long, long, long time, a lot of great games under its belt, and um, a lot of them came through here. So first up here we have from, I think this is Olivier, um, says Mega Man X. X's design is so cool, it was like seeing Mega Man grown up. The game plays great, the music rocks, and the Mavericks are all cool and have personality. The art is beautiful, and the upgrades and inclusion of the Hadouken are great bonuses. Um, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, love I agree that completely. <laughs> I just remember being a big Mega Man fan on the NES, and when this came out for Super NES, I just love that you could upgrade your character and kind of, I mean, in addition to getting the usual um, upgrades from the bosses, there were other things you could get to add new functionality throughout the game. That was really cool. The original were some of my first, uh, the original Mega Man games were some of the first ones I ever played. I beat the first one not even knowing that you could switch, so that was quite the revelation when I finally paused the game you know, when I got a glass of milk and came back and I'm a different color shooting different things. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? Yeah. Didn't explain itself really early on, but now I know. So, uh. mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I should say too, that a lot of these, um, as I was reading through the responses, uh, you know, these games are now on Nintendo switch. So I kind of, you know, grouped those all together here. Um, so these can serve as great recommendations too, to people who maybe haven't played these games before. Um, Joel Gobelli said that street fighter two for super NES edged out, uh, his afternoon naps after school in 1992. So basically he switched his naps for Street Fighter 2. He says the rest is history. Um, obviously Street Fighter 2 on Super NES for me is one of the biggest kind of moments in gaming. I can't remember a release that was any bigger than that one. Definitely. Yeah, Street Fighter, whether it was, you know, uh, the characters, the stages, the competitive aspect of it, I think probably more than anything, like being able to like sit next to somebody and like, Haha, I beat you up or and just constantly going back and forth of, you know, winning and losing but still having fun the whole time was something that you didn't get in like a normal, you know, one player arcade game, I guess, or a Super Nintendo game type thing. So Yeah, I just remember seeing even with the original Street Fighter in the arcade, I was like, Wow, this is like a game where there's nothing but bosses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no filler, all just the good stuff. Yep. Also really high praise. Naps are awesome. I love <laughs> I love Street Fighter too. Yeah. <laughs> Still gonna leave time for your naps. Shout, shout out to naps. <laughs> shout, yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and then, of course, Street Fighter Two is part of the Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection. It's mm-hmm. on Nintendo Switch. So, goodness there. And uh, Suzuki says, "Devil May Cry. What other game can mix uh, unsettling atmosphere, edge of your seat gameplay that's easy to learn and hard to master, great music, a cheesy story with a lead character you can root for, all while keeping it stylish? Let's rock, baby! Jackpot." Oh man, he knows all the lines. <laughs> yep. And uh, I saw that you guys um, tweeted out just the other day that Devil May Cry is coming to Nintendo Switch. Coming very soon. So look forward to that. Finally, I think this is the first time I think that that game will actually be on a Nintendo platform. So I'm super happy to have it. That's great. Just keep them coming. Keep yeah. all those classic Capcom <laughs> games coming to Nintendo Switch. Um, next up is, um, and I have to, well, I'll save my horrible admission until the end of this. <laughs> Azure Wolf MD says Okami. Somehow it had an immersive feel because of how the artistic style, story, atmosphere, and music came together. I didn't bother with using any guides because just traversing the world and story was a delightful experience unto itself. And my uh, horrible admission is I've only ever played, I think, the first 20 minutes of this game. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's, it's like a full-on Zelda-length and style adventure. All it's my friends magical. tell me I have to play it because I love The Legend of Zelda. They said I would love this. And uh, it's just perpetually been on my list of games that I'll definitely play at some point. It's a beautiful game. The aesthetic is great. And uh, in the Nintendo Switch 2, you have the, like, uh, for people that aren't in the know on this one, you have, you control essentially a celestial ink brush 
that you draw like Japanese kanji on the screen, which have different abilities, and you can use the touchscreen on Nintendo Switch to actually get that done, which definitely not all uh, Okamis have. So a bit of an advantage there. Yeah, it seems like a good fit for the brush mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Gonzalez says, Ace Attorney is my absolute favorite. Playing as Phoenix and being a detective, solving different cases, and meeting awesome characters like Mia and Maya, and also Miles Edgeworth is so much fun. Objection. There yes! we go. I'm going I'm to leave this one to stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shout out to Miles's cravat for being one of the finest pieces of video game fashion. <laughs> I think this was actually going to be my favorite Capcom game if I had to pick one. Probably the first one, but mm-hmm. they're all pretty amazing. I think that first one in particular is really special because they originally came out on the Game Boy Advance in Japan and then first came out here on the Nintendo DS. So those first four chapters that were on the Game Boy version were all made for Game Boy, so they don't really use the touch controls. And then you get through this great story. You've been playing for so many hours, and then there's this one extra chapter at the end that they made for the special for the Nintendo DS version that uses touch controls, and it introduces all these really cool elements of of forensics and some other puzzle solving. And at the time I was playing it, I was studying forensics, so this just like blew me away, and I was so excited and so happy. And that game, those games are magical. I love them so yeah. much. Specifically, remember uh, you getting excited about a it was, it's like prosecuting a whale, wasn't that <gasps> at one time? Yeah. Yes, that's one of my. Fa- that's actually that might be my favorite case. Is in Ace Attorney uh, Dual Destinies, yeah. you can you defend an orca on trial. Sorry, thank you for the correction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't do anything wrong. Innocent whale. That's yeah. fantastic. And then, of course, Phoenix Rice Ace Attorney Trilogy hit Nintendo Switch just last month, I think. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are plenty of games on Nintendo 3DS from the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been replaying it for the millionth time. Definitely. That's another one, too, that I, I think is proceeded for Valhalla. I'm in kind of a visual novel mood, so I think I'm definitely going to go back and play the Ace games. So next up is John, and he says his favorite Capcom game is Dragon's Dogma, which is easily, as he says, easily my favorite Western-style RPG. They just nailed it. Combat, exploration, everything. Um, And then that was released, I think, also for Nintendo Switch just last month? It was. Yeah. It's a nice nice mix of, it has almost like Devil May Cry-style combat, so it's really, really in-depth, but kind of in a fantasy, like, you know, swords and magic uh, type world. So... Um, it's a lot of fun. You can basically create uh, essentially pawn characters, like different NPCs for yourself, send them to other people, all in this giant story about you reclaiming your heart. So nice. The the one of the coolest things about it is that you can when you're in big battles, you can literally grab onto the enemies and like traverse them and to t- help take them down, like big griffins yeah. and ogres and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and you're like climbing like a monkey on the back of a giant like cyclops, like down, down, down. <laughs> That's great. I've heard a lot of people talking about this game, but I haven't checked it out yet. It sounds like I've definitely got to do fun. that. It's pretty fun. Yeah. All right, now Stephanie, you already told us what your favorite Capcom game is. Can and I that get another? Was... Okay, okay, we'll give you one more. Can I cheat? Just because I shared one with a fan. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Um, uh, your slot is still open, so go right ahead. A few. Okay, so it's definitely Ace Attorney, so I'm, I'm, I'm cheating and I'll be open about that. That's fine. Uh, the other I would love to call out is it's Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Very different from Ace Attorney in maybe every way. But it's just, that was the first Monster Hunter that I really got into. I played 3 a little bit, but 4, something just clicked in my brain, and I, I really got it. And I played with friends every day, including Mike, every mm-hmm. single day at lunch and after work and all kinds of stuff like that. It just really created a lot of special memories of bringing people together, like during business travels, we'd all get together after we were tired from a long event and just wear our pajamas, eat pizza and play Monster Hunter. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. just such an amazing time, amazing game, perfected so many things about the series and it's awesome. That's great. Mike, if you had to pick one, what would it be? One one is so, so tough. Uh, if I had to pick one, I would go back, uh, I kind of mentioned a minute, minute ago, but probably Street Fighter 2. Um, there's so many fighting games that we've made that have really, like, I've always sort of clung to those. Someone mentioned Capcom vs. SNK in the, in, the, in the Twitter poll, same with Marvel vs. Capcom, all of those games. And I think what's most important, we make gameplay-wise, they're always amazing, and generally, especially if there's like a crossover with, you know, another company getting your fan-favorite characters in there. But really the social aspect of playing with people, like it's different than, you know, sitting in front of your, sitting on your couch and playing a, you know, a single player game and getting it done that way. Because you can certainly do that, but obviously it's better with, uh, it's better with people. And that kind of shades to Monster Hunter where certainly you can play it 
you know, solo the whole way through, but mm -hmm. it really, really changes the experience and, you know, it becomes more of a cultural thing. It's really easy to pick up too. Mm -hmm. Do you do all these events and see someone who maybe hasn't played games before or somebody that has? And either way, you can pick up a controller or a fight stick and smash on the buttons and understand how to play Street Fighter. So that sort of accessibility and ease of use while also, you know, easy to, easy to play but hard to master type mm -hmm. game. Um, I really like that. So, um, and playing, you know, whether it's at home on my consoles or at the arcade at the bowling alley uh, I wasted so much time playing those games and still to this day we have an arcade over in the back I think we, we'll, we'll get to in a little bit later but um, I'll still jump over there every once in a while and just you know just get some get some combo training in I'm not the best but I still enjoy playing do you have a favorite character from that game from, from Street, Street Fighter prob I would probably choose oh man this one's tough then from the original Street Fighter 2. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for your favorite mm. game, are you talking? Are we talking the World Warriors? Are you talking Championship? So that's, that, that, that's where that's where it like kind of Turbo? breaks down. Yeah, the one I probably grew up most was probably Super, because uh -huh. that was the one that was around. But you'd probably see the World Warriors everywhere as well too. I would always pick World Warriors. I would be kind of it's not boring, but I always pick like the the shuttle characters Ryu and Ken because I those were the moves that I knew. This was back yeah. before you could like pop open your phone and look up how do I do this combo or what is the fireball. Mm -hmm. um, I had accidentally stumbled on how to do some of the special moves and like, I'm, let's stick here. I'm going to do that between maybe them and Blanca. But aside from that, when the new characters came out, I picked, I really like T-Hawk because he's this big, mm -hmm. like just through, like whenever he did, he had a chance to deal damage. It was really, really hard. Like it was serious. So uh, that's kind of the way I play now where it's, I'm not really, really good. So, you know, 20 hit combos, that's not for me. But mm -hmm. when I get you or I grab you, like, goodbye 40% of your health. So I can steal some wins here and there. <laughs> so when you do land a hit, you make it count. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, um, it's really tough, uh, but I would pick Mega Man 2. Uh, partly because it's just an amazing game, and also partly because I just have a really nostalgic sweet spot for it. I had, uh, I had played the first Mega Man, um, and then I think I traded it away to a friend of mine because I didn't realize you could use the boss's weapons, mm -hmm. and all the bosses were just so hard with the regular pea shooter. Mm -hmm. And then he told me, like, he beat it and said, you know, you can use the, the, the weapons against each other. And that blew my mind. I immediately traded him back for it, mm -hmm. beat that game, loved it. But then when Mega Man 2 came out, they just, the graphics, everything just got better. And so that really uh, perfected it for me. But I was tempted to say Beautiful Joe for GameCube because mm. I love that game, how you could slow time. And yep. it's kind of what I enjoy about um, um, Katana Zero is that ability to slow time and kind of do st cool, stylish moves. I remembered that from Beautiful Joe. Very nice. I yeah. think I saw one of the comments on the post pick out Beautiful Joe as well. There's some, yeah. Somebody's with you. Yeah. Those were fun. They got all like the nice movie themes and the film strips. Remember that? Yeah. He's been in a lot of the, the fighting games recently too. So, but What yeah. boss do you start with in Mega Man 2? Uh, I, I always start with um, Airman stage. Really? Yeah, and I think it's just because it's, for whatever reason, it's the one I remember the best, um, even though it's pretty tough. I don't know which technically is the best to start with. There's no real answer. I start with Flashman. Really? Yeah, yeah because I think I think the Buster huh. probably does the most against him. Huh. I think. Also, like, I think that uh, I think it's all in our his heads. power, he just, he just stops you, so it's like, it's not like... He hits you, you don't with feel something. As yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, it's not not as threatened. I feel. Okay, that's interesting. I was expecting you both to say Metal Man for some reason. I feel like that's the most so common thing you hear. I actually missed out on Mega Man Two. I owned one was one of the first games I played. I got three for Christmas or something like that, and five was actually the first game that I actually bought with my own money. Um, but I didn't know about two, or I hadn't played two till probably like I was a teenager. So I missed that one and until I got a chance to play it. I didn't know that Metal Man's weapon is like super broken and that you're supposed hey. to play him first. Uh, it's not broken. It is very strong. How about that? <laughs> um, but yeah, it does really, really well about just against just about every, every other boss in the game. So um, now I know. But I still, even when I boot it up again, I still do it the way I used to play. So yeah, I think Airman is one of the, for me, one of the tougher bosses to get the timing down for mm -hmm. so kudos to you for that being the first yeah. one you go after that's like the gauntlet of air yeah. tornadoes jumping through those yeah i think it's just part of my my nostalgic memory for the game too are those giant kind of like faces that it, that would make the platform i know it's, yeah. it's got like the horn missiles mm -hmm. yeah, yeah like right off the bat so that's like burned into my brain as what Mega Man 2 is yeah so i just gravitate that's toward fair. that all right well cool um now we're going to move on to the warp zone quiz <laughs> Um, just like every episode, this is where we I provide clues and you guys try to guess games that came out 10, 20, or 30 years ago on Nintendo platforms. Oof. 
So I uh, got some tricky ones this time. I'm ready. Uh, I always say that, but, you know, and I usually mean it. This time I really mean it. I mean, so it's May, luck. right? Are we doing May games? Yeah, these are May games. It's always a tricky month for game launches. So, so they came out in May? Yes. Then? Yes. Okay. In May, 10, 20, 30 years. So, mm. uh, for example, the first one, 10 years ago in May of 2009, and the clues are Nintendo brought back a beloved franchise on Wii with a game developed by Next Level Games that could be played with button controls, motion controls, or even the Wii balance board. That included a pink hoodie, an international cast of characters, and let you punch Donkey Kong in the face. It's punch out. That's right. I still punch out. I, so I really, really, really love uh, Punch Out series. I to this day have not played the Wii one yet. Um, oh wow! Unfortunately, um, but the original Super Nintendo. I have the. I even have the. It's like a special. I can't remember if it was like a collector's edition for the Wii one. They're like Little Max green gloves framed oh, nice. on like a wall plaque thing. Um, I have the game, but I just have never gotten around to play it, but I really want to someday. It's really good. It's really um, authentic to the original NES Punch-Out, mm-hmm. kind of just more of a, of a remake of that, so a lot of the same patterns work. Yep. Um, but then uh, the, the big surprise, and I thought it might throw you guys off, was they did have Donkey Kong as a hidden character, mm-hmm. but he's really hard to get to. Yeah, I definitely, oh man, I really love that series so much. I, I am a, a monster in like grinding time attacks to try to like beat my... Like I'm definitely not like like speed run level, but mm-hmm. for my own uh, taste, like I, I I say I'm pretty good at this game. So awesome! All right, well, one for one. Next question: Twenty years ago, this is May of 1999. Uh, Nintendo published a game for Game Boy Color that added a challenge mode, an overworld map, multiplayer, and additional worlds to what is perhaps the most famous platformer of all time. The game was even compatible with the Game Boy Printer. Any guesses? Multiplayer. Not many games used a Game Boy printer that I remember. I'll tell you, if you owned an NES, the chances are that the original version of this game probably came with it. But this was an enhanced version for Game Boy Color. Multiplayer, you said, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, certain multiplayer modes. Sure. It's not... Mm, I, I want to... Uh, it's not a Mario game, is it? Yes, it has to be. Yeah, it is. I mean, Mario I is like... I don't want to say it. Go do it, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. This is your, I got, I got the last one. You're up, Stiff. That's not fair. I, I'll, just, I'll just cut <laughs> sure. in. It's Super Mario Brothers Deluxe. Deluxe. Oh. I thought yeah. it was either Deluxe or, or it couldn't have been Advanced. But yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. As, what? I don't remember the multiplayer in that one. A lot though. of people don't remember this game. Um, I, I might not, except that I ha- actually have it at home. And uh, it was like the only way to play portable Super Mario Brothers back in the day. Didn't it have, it was either that or Advanced that had sequels. Because I remember you could play... The deluxe one, yeah, I think it was deluxe because deluxe was just the original Mario Super Mario Brothers with these game. extra features. Yeah, yeah, I remember playing that. I don't remember the multiplayer stuff at all. Yeah, there were um, certain modes, and then they even added um, all of the levels from uh, what was Super Mario Brothers Two in Japan, and mm-hmm. here it's called the Lost, the Lost Level. Was oh, all yeah. unlockable yeah. in that game too. Those were also in All Stars. That's where I played yep. that. Yeah. Good one, right. though. Nice Last zinger. One. Nice zinger. <laughs> yeah. This, this, one's, uh, this one's an even bigger zinger. It's a tricky one. Oh, boy. 30 years ago, May 1989, uh, Taito published an NES port of a popular on-rails light gun game that used the NES zapper in place of the machine gun that was mounted on the arcade version. And you could also play the game with a standard NES controller. Uh, the goal was to rescue prisoners while taking out enemies like soldiers, helicopters, and birds for some reason. Any guesses? I'll tell you the title has Operation a type Wolf. Of, oh, that's yes. what I was thinking. Yeah, it's that's the Vietnam one, right? No, I think you're rescuing like, rescuing like prisoners of war, but I'm not sure if it's particularly P- set. POW is a beat 'em up, like scrolling punch one. No, not Wolf. that game. Yeah. But anyway, you guys, wow. Yeah, I was like the only uh, the only one I could think. That I'm like 30 years ago. That was that 30 years ago. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was literally when I was looking back. I mean, of course I could be wrong, but I was looking back into it. This is literally the only game I could find that came out in May oh, of 1980. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm never gonna forget Man. that. Yeah, that yeah. is a really good game, though. I remember playing that. Some, there's actually, really? I think one of my one of our coworkers here actually owns and probably every other week wears an Operation Wolf T-shirt. So, uh, wow, a reminder. Very Deep random cut. NES, obscure NES games, and that is definitely one I've not heard of before. Yeah, I think it was pretty popular in the arcade, but I don't know how popular the NES version oh, was. Oh, fair. That's yeah. And it was yeah. one of those like you've got the gun up and moving it around and. It's so much guys. better last time in the pot, in the quiz. Thank you, Mike, for your help. Of course. Good job. Ah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm sad a, I didn't get the Mario Brothers Deluxe. I've played that. Ah, <laughs> the multiplayer thing threw me for a, a loop. Still, two out of three on a tricky month is, That's good. is, yeah. is, 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 is a, quite a success. I'll good take job. 
All right, well, we're going to finish up here with game forecast. Uh, this is where I'm going to run through a bunch of games that are coming out uh, between now and, let's say, the next month or so. Um, I'm actually going to back up a couple of days here from before recording because there's some games that just came out that I really wanted to give a shout-out to. Um, so starting on May 7th, we had Shakedown Hawaii from V-Blank and Puyo Puyo Champions from Sega, both on May 7th. Um, on May 9th, Fortnite Season 9 uh, from Epic Games uh, started. Then on May 16th, we had Darkwood from Acid Wizard Studio. Um, also on May 20, well, we've, we cover this in great detail. On May 21st, we're going to have all three of those uh, classic Resident Evil games. Um, then we're also going to have something I didn't we didn't mention before, like Resident Evil Origins Collection. Mm-hmm. And I think that collects both Resident Evil and Resident Evil Zero. Is that right? Yes. So essentially, all game, all three. Resident Evil, Resident Evil Zero, and Resident Evil 4 will be on eShop, but if you're more of a physical connoisseur, we have the Origins Collections, which bundles Zero and One together. So Great. And then uh, also on May uh, 21st, Team Sonic Racing from Sega. And then May 28th, Crystal Crisis from Nicalis. June 21st, Crash Team Racing, Nitro Fueled from Activision. June 28th, Super Mario Maker 2 from mm-hmm. Nintendo. Looking forward to that one. And then June, Mind Friend Pedro from Devolver Digital sometime in June. Uh, what jumps out to uh, you guys? I, I I really like the Mario Maker series. I'm not great at making levels, but the creativity of other people, and I'm glad that you're able to like share levels and sort of consume what other people have made. The creativity that people have in those, especially even seeing the first one nowadays, what what people have come up with, is is pretty crazy. Uh, some of the the another one I really enjoy. The Sonic team has done a really good job of pushing and having like. Uh, the Sonic Racing series pretty well. Those mm-hmm. are kind of fun. Um, they also have a fun little animated series surrounding it as well, which I've been keeping up with, which is really fun. Um, what about you, Steph? Um, is it unfair to say that I've been really looking forward to replaying Zero, One, and Four? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, that's, the, that's, that's the best answer you can give, Steph. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of good stuff here, but those definitely stand out. Yeah. I, those are definitely ones that I'm looking forward to, besides very obvious Super Mario Maker 2. Um, and then if I can cheat a little bit, can I look to July? She's just, just cheating peak, all over the place. Just peek sure. into July, because uh, there's so much in July that I'm really pumped up about. I won't go into detail about them, but I just want to shout them out, I guess. Um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, is going to be a, a, mm-hmm. a big July one. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses is another really big July one for me. Oh, wow, yeah. I will check that one out. Yeah. And Marvel Ultimate Alliance is another one. I played uh, those old ones and super excited to, especially with all the movies and stuff going around recently, I'm definitely in a Marvel mood. So Yeah, me too, absolutely. Yes. And there's so much, all this stuff, uh, you said, you know, this next month, July, it's good stuff coming up. Um, I've really got to, I feel like I have to really play <laughs> through the games that I'm playing now to get ready yeah, for it. I hear you. Because, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying the Resident Evil titles right now, and I, I just started playing Shakedown Hawaii. Um and I, my friend Pedro looks like a really wacky, kind of interesting game with a, kind of a bizarre sense of humor and a lot of kind of slow bullet time mechanics. But uh, I got to tell you, anybody who's been listening to the last couple episodes knows that when I finally get Super Mario Maker 2 in my hands, uh, you know, you're going to have to put me on an IV drip because <laughs> it's just going to be my skeleton making levels in the corner for about 600 straight hours. Um, so I guess I'm looking forward to that. That Very sounds nice. like a bad future for me, but actually I'm going to really enjoy it. <laughs> it's going to be uh, great. I can't wait to yeah. play your stuff. It's going to be fantastic. All right. Well, Stephanie and Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. And and, um, it's just been great talking to you guys. Awesome. Thanks again for having me. Thanks, Chris. That's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. If you have any comments or questions you'd like us to consider answering on the show, you can email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they're ready. Thanks for listening and keep playing with power.